everyone. Thanks for checking out this podcast. I hope today's conversation inspires you and builds your faith for the moment you are in right now. Know that God's love for you truly changes everything. Enjoy the message. It was the night before Christmas when all through the house I searched for the tools to hand to my spouse. Instructions were studied and we were inspired in hopes we could handle some assembly required. The children were quiet asleep in their beds while my wife and I faced the evening with dread. We'll assemble the toys. There are pieces galore. With stress, the clock ticked as we sat on the floor. We opened the boxes. My heart skipped a beat. Let no parts be missing or parts incomplete. It's too late for last-minute returns or replacement. If we can't get it right, it goes into the basement. When what to my worrying eyes should appear but 50 sheets of directions, concise but not clear. It had each part numbered and every slot named so that if we failed, only we could be blamed. We counted the pieces as each part fell out. All over the carpet they scattered about. Now bolt it, now twist it, attach it right there. Just put it together with bolts if you dare. Please hand me the screws, attach the kickstand. Honey, I said, you just glued my hand. And then, in a twinkling, I knew for a fact that all the toy companies had indeed made a pact to keep parents busy all Christmas Eve night with assembly required till morning's first light. We spoke not a word. We kept bent at our work till our eyes, they went bleary, our fingers all hurt. The coffee went cold and the night it wore thin before we attached the last rod and pen. And then laying the tools away in the chest, we fell into bed for a well-deserved rest. I said to my wife, before I passed out, this will be the best Christmas without any doubt. Tomorrow we'll cheer, let the holiday ring, and not have to run to the store for a thing. We did it, we did it. The toys are all set for the perfect, most perfectest, best Christmas yet. Everything wrapped and everything right. We peacefully slept the rest of the night. But Christmas morning we found that we were deluded. I had forgotten that batteries are never included. This month, uh, we've been talking about the expectations of Christmas. And when it comes to Christmas expectations, I I think they tend to fall into three categories for us. First of all, there are the emotional expectations. We all want to have the warm fuzzies that we call the Christmas spirit. Right? In fact, that's why we, we decorate the house and why we sing the same Christmas songs again and again and again and again. For some of you starting in October, which I think is a diagnosable sickness. And we watch the same Christmas movies over and over and over again. In fact, I wonder what is your favorite Christmas movie. If you're with us online, maybe you could put it in the chat right now. Tell us, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Uh, But here in the room, why don't you tell us just good and loud on the count of three, what's your favorite Christmas movie? One, two, three. Die Hard. Oh, yeah. That was not a female voice that I heard over there. That was 
definite guy stuff going on. Well, uh, we have these emotional expectations. And number two, there are material expectations. I'm guessing that most people are probably going to give or get at least one present. Have you seen the movie A Christmas Story? How many of you, that was your favorite? I, every person who clapped, I'm quite sure, is from Gen X. That is my generation. This is our movie. The plot centers around the expectations of a boy named Ralphie who wants only one thing for Christmas. What is the one thing he wants? An official Red Rider carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle. But he has a big problem. His mother thinks that BB guns are too dangerous. And everybody tells him the same thing. They all say, you don't want that gun. It's too dangerous because, say it with me, everybody tells him, Ralphie, you'll shoot your eye out. Thank you, Gen Xers, for your help. And at the end of the movie, he finally gets what he wants. His father, hidden behind the tree, has placed an official Red Rider carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle. And what happens? He shoots his eye out. <laughs> well, or at least his glasses, because that is life, isn't it? That so often, maybe we get what we want. Other times, we don't get what we want. And then sometimes, we get what we want and wished we had not. <laughs> And then, number three, there are the relational expectations. And I think this is what's the hardest for most people this year, right now, with all the COVID stuff and the timing of this upcoming wave that everybody's concerned about. Uh, because we know that relational expectations are probably not going to be met this year, especially for those of you who know what it's like to suffer loss. Some of you in your grief, this is a hard, hard, hard time of year. And uh, so the best feel-good movie is probably, it's a Christmas story. Or I'm sorry, it's a, what's it called? It's a Wonderful Life. That's what it's called. It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, how many of you have ever seen It's a Wonderful Life? Now, here's the real question. How many of you have ever stayed awake through it's, uh, the whole time? <laughs> I, I, I think it's five hours long. I've never, I don't know what happens in the middle of the movie, but I know at the end, I know at the end that they're all gathered around in George Bailey's house around the Christmas tree. The whole town has gathered. And his brother reminds him of the moral of the story his brother says, George, the man who has friends has everything. Doesn't that bring a tear to your eye? And we're, and we're not saying that it's wrong to have emotional, material, and relational expectations. In fact, I hope you get all kinds of warm fuzzies this week. And the Christmas Eve service on Friday is guaranteed to give you warm fuzzies at exactly 4 and 6 p.m. Atlantic time or your money back. And I, I hope to, you get and give lots of great presents. And I hope that your relationships are rich and fulfilling, even in spite of all of the challenges that we're facing this year. But here's the problem, and here's what we're going to talk about today. You will always be disappointed in life if you make it about those three things as your primary expectation. 
Because there's always something that'll get in the way. And the reality is that the original expectation of Christmas 2,000 years ago was really not about any of those three things. Today we're going to look at my, my absolute favorite person in the Christmas story. And I could give you five, six, seven guesses, and I'm thinking you might not figure out who it is. Maybe you would. I don't know. But he's somebody who is often overlooked. The person we're going to talk about today is somebody who never shows up in any of the nativity scenes that people put up on the mantle of their fireplace. He never appears in any of our Christmas songs or is never pictured on any of our Christmas cards. His name is Simeon. And today we're in Luke chapter 2, and if you want to find your your Bible uh, in Luke chapter 2 or look it up online, and we're going to see today two passages of Scripture, one from the New Testament and one from the Old Testament, and how they fit together. And what happens here in the story we're about to read takes place exactly 40 days after the birth of Jesus. And here's why. Because when a, when a Jewish baby was born, there were two ceremonies that needed to take place for a little boy. And the first was on the eighth day. On the eighth day, it was time for the circumcision. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, I'm not going to show you any pictures on the screen. You're going to have to figure that one out for yourself. But circumcision took place on the eighth day. And then on the 40th day, the baby Jesus was brought to the temple in Jerusalem for his ceremonial dedication. And here on the 40th day, This is the story we're about to read in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, I want you to take note of that word. That's going to be really important in just a minute. Don't miss it. Don't forget it. Simeon was waiting for what? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, now it's okay. It's time for me to die. Why? Here's why. He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Now, we're going to read the rest of the story in just a minute. But what we see here is that Simeon had some big-time Christmas expectations. And, And Simeon, what's interesting is this is the only place that we see him in Scripture. We don't know any other stories about Simeon. But it tells us a lot. That what we just read tells us that, that, that for his entire lifetime, God has been speaking to Simeon and confirmed a promise in Simeon's heart 
that he will not die before the Messiah is born, the Savior of the world. And so Simeon has lived his entire lifetime with this sense of expectation of being able to see God's promise fulfilled before he dies. And I think Simeon's expectations that we see here in this passage of Jesus really fall down to about four things that we read. First of all, that Simeon expected that the consolation of Israel would take place. Now, we remember, we said that this is going to be important. What is the consolation of Israel? When, in order to understand that word, the consolation or the comforting of Israel, you have to go back to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. And in the year 700 BC, in the time of Isaiah, the people of Israel have been living in sin and disobedience to God and therefore are suffering the judgment of God. But God in His mercy has given them a promise that one day he would comfort or console them in a specific way. And so here in Luke chapter 2, where we read the words of Simeon when he sees Jesus in the temple on the 40th day at the time of his ceremonial dedication after his birth, what we see here is that Simeon, line after line after line, is specifically referencing the prophet Isaiah from 700 years before. Let me show you. Let's look at it in Isaiah chapter 40. Check this out. This is 700 years before Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, he said, Comfort or console. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and tell her that her sad days are gone. Her sins are pardoned and I have punished her in full for all her sins. Listen, I hear the voice of someone shouting, Make a road for the Lord through the wilderness. Make him a straight, smooth road through the desert. Fill the valleys, level the hills, straighten out the crooked paths, and smooth off the rough spots in the road. The glory of the Lord will be seen by all mankind together. The Lord has spoken, it shall be. The voice says, Shout! What shall I shout, I asked? Shout that man is like the grass that dies away, and all his beauty fades like dying flowers. The grass withers, the flower fades beneath the breath of God, and so it is with fragile man. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And so who can stand in God's presence? The answer in Isaiah, none of us are worthy to stand in God's presence. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And we all wither and fade like dying grass, like a wilting flower. But then Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, declares the consolation of Israel. And he says, listen, folks, he says, you need to know your condition right now may seem helpless, but I'm here to tell you, thank God it is not hopeless. Look at the next verse, verse 9. 
O crier of good news, shout to Jerusalem from the mountaintops. Shout louder. Don't be afraid. Tell the cities of Judah, your God is coming. Say it with me. Your God is coming. Come on now. It says, shout. (laughs) Don't be afraid, it says. Tell the cities of Judah, your God is coming. That is the hope and the consolation of Israel, that your God is coming. And so Simeon has lived every day of his life with this sense of expectation that God has promised him he will get to see this promise fulfilled in his lifetime. And so then all of a sudden, one day, he's standing in the temple courts and he sees this this young couple come walking up the steps towards the temple and they have a baby in their arms named Jesus. And the name Jesus in, in Hebrew is Yeshua, which means salvation is from the Lord. And all of a sudden, Simeon stops in his tracks and he, and he goes over to Mary and Joseph and, and grabs the baby, it sounds like. <laughs> Stranger alert, right? And, but, but they seem to be okay with it. And, and he begins to declare this, this, this truth. He says, the promise of God, this, this baby is the promise of God fulfilled for us. Jesus is our salvation. And listen, maybe you feel like the people that Isaiah was proclaiming this prophecy to 700 years ago. Maybe you feel today like withered grass. Maybe you feel like a fading flower. Maybe you feel like addiction has you ensnared today. Money has you discouraged. Relationships have you disheartened. Society has you disenfranchised. Maybe the government has you distrustful. Listen, You may feel like your condition is helpless, but I'm here to tell you with God, it is not hopeless. Why? Because of Jesus, Simeon, and the prophet Isaiah declare together, be consoled, O Israel, be comforted, O people, because no matter what you're going through, your God is coming. Amen? But but Simeon's not done yet. He he continues in Luke chapter 2, verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now, there's something interesting here. Simeon talks about two groups of people, the Gentiles and the Israelites, And the Israelites were were like the the spiritual insiders, right? The, 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 The Israelites, the Jews, were the people who had grown up with religion. And so they knew how to behave. They knew how to talk. They knew how to do the right things. They were like the spiritual insiders. But Simeon says, listen, that Jesus also came for the Gentiles, in other words, the heathens, the, the non-churchy people of the day. And so Simeon says, listen, Jesus came not just for the glory of Israel, but for all people. 
And I think that's number two. Simeon expected that through Jesus, God's plan would be revealed to outsiders. Now again, he's quoting from the prophecy of Isaiah. 700 years earlier, in Isaiah 49, verse 6, God said, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. Yes, Jesus came for Israel, but it says it's not just. That's just part of it. Isaiah prophesies, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. In other words, listen, the true meaning of Christmas is not just for religious people. Jesus came for everybody. Are you tired of being beaten down by the consequences of your sin? Are you tired of of being grumpy and having a bad attitude all the time, guess what? Jesus is tired of that too. And he came to rescue you from that. Are you you tired of living the party lifestyle? Are you tired of being addicted? Are you tired of sleeping around? Are you tired of, of running the rat race of this world? And you say, but I'm not even a religious person. I've hardly even stepped foot inside of a church. Simeon and the prophet Isaiah said, guess what? You are just the kind of person then that Jesus came for. And at this point, Mary and Joseph are just blown away. And picking up in in Luke 2.33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, he said to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now what does it mean when Simeon says that that Jesus will cause the falling and the rising of many? Here's what I think it means. Simeon expected that Jesus would upset the status quo. And man was he right. Because everywhere Jesus went, he turned the rules upside down. Because the world says, the world says, love your friends and hate your enemies. But Jesus said, no, love even your enemies and pray God's richest blessing over those who hate you. The world says, Treat the rich special so that you can climb the ladder and other people will serve you. And Jesus said, no, treat the poor special so you can climb down the ladder and become a servant to others. The world says, use whatever power you can hold on to in order to win the world's games and get what you want. And and Jesus says, no, 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 stop playing games. Do your best and leave God with the rest. And here's the key to it all. Verse 35, so that the thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And so number four, Simeon expected that Jesus would draw a line in the sand 
for decisions. He says here to Mother Mary, even your thoughts will be revealed. He says to Mary, even your heart will be pierced with the sword of truth. And this is always true. Listen, whenever Jesus shows up, he begins to reveal stuff in our lives that have been hidden for years. When when Jesus shows up, lies begin to be exposed. When Jesus shows up, truth starts shining its light into our hearts. And here's what's sad so often. Listen, don't you know this happens so often where we'll see people who start to get excited about, about church. People will start showing up and, and, and will we'll, we'll, you know, start getting excited about Jesus and they start get con- connected in a group and they start serving in a ministry. And at first it's like, like, like Jesus and, and the church is just like, all this stuff is just like the greatest thing ever. But then we see it happen again and again and again. When when Jesus starts to uncover stuff in our lives, all of a sudden it starts to get uncomfortable as as he starts to convict us of sin and, and reveal things that need to change in our lives. And we see it again and again that that people will start to drift away and start to avoid church and start to stay away from other Christians because what we eventually realize is that Jesus did not come just to make your life easier and better. And what we so often want is a self-help Jesus. But the reality is that what Jesus came to do was actually to expose the sinfulness of our hearts. And to transform our very identity so that we can be remade in the likeness of Him. And so every person comes to this point where there's a fork in the road and you have to decide, am I going to embrace Jesus or am I going to run away? Am I going to open myself up to him and allow him to challenge my assumptions and, and challenge the things that I've believed in this world and, and gone along with in this world? Or am I going to allow him to challenge that and submit to it and be changed and transformed to become more like him? Or am I going to say, no, I, I think I'd rather do life the same old way that I've always done it and continue to get the same bad results that I've always gotten. See, we can either surrender to Jesus today or we can reject him. And that's the amazing thing about Jesus is that he never forces anyone to submit to him. See, that's what the world wanted him to do. The world wanted someone who would come in and dominate and win their political battles for them. Jesus refused to do that. He said, you can follow me or you can walk away. The choice is yours. Would you stand with me? Father, I thank you that you have drawn these wonderful people here.
today. People of all different colors and ethnicities, different ethnic backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, all different shapes and sizes, different thought processes, different priorities. And yet your calling for all of us is the same. Your invitation is open to anyone who will receive you. And so right now, wherever you are, my friends, on this journey, is it possible that God is speaking to you about something today? Is it possible that right now you can see that Jesus has drawn a line in the sand for you to make a decision about something today? I don't know what it is, but maybe God's speaking to your heart. Lord, as we surrender to you, as we give it to you, thank you that although our situation has seemed helpless, because of you, we are not hopeless. You are our hope. You are our salvation. You are our consolation. You are our restoration. And in you alone do we find transformation. And if there's anybody here with us today, anybody online who, who's never made the decision to surrender to Jesus, understand that that is the reason he came. He was born to die. You see, if all you do is celebrate Christmas without recognizing that what it's really about is Easter, then you have missed the whole point. Jesus was born to die as the perfect sacrifice to pay the price for our sins. For the punishment for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Somebody had to die to pay for your sins. And Jesus said, I love you enough that I will do it for you. And so if you'd like to, to receive that gift of forgiveness, the Bible says that what you do is you confess your sin, you believe that Jesus died in your place, and you receive that gift of forgiveness. Would you do that right now? If you're ready to do that, just in your heart, just right now, say, Lord, I confess. Lord, I confess that I've lived for myself. I've been so focused on me. I've been focused on what the world says is important. And I've put you in the background. Confess. Lord, we confess that there's sin in our hearts, that we're not as good as we pretend to be. And we can't fix it. But you can. And so we receive. Make the decision today. Say, I receive your grace. 
I receive your forgiveness. I invite you to come in and change me from the inside out. Take over my life. Transform my identity. Jesus, make me to become like you. And then commit to follow him for the rest of your days. Lord, we commit to follow you. We want to build our lives on the foundation of your word. Lord, I just want to thank you today for the great examples that we get to see of that on a regular basis here in our lives. Lord, I thank you for men and women that I can think of right now, all around this room, who model what it's like to live the Jesus life, not just trying harder, but trusting more, serving others, putting you first. Lord, I think of examples like even just recently, Harry Steves who passed away. This week, Mitch Short. People who modeled for us what it looks like to live in the fullness of Jesus. And Lord, may we follow that example as you come into this world through us to transform our community for your glory. We invite you to come, Lord. We invite you to come. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Moncton Wesleyan, we invite you to visit our website at mw.church. We are here to help you with any questions you might have. See you next time.